James and choir, thank you for all the music that you have ministered to us this Christmas season, or say Advent season. So this morning I woke up in a cold sweat. I thought it was Christmas Eve. And I hadn't bought a present. And then thank God, the alarm clock went off. I was dreaming. But I thought about how, that, how it is that we move so quickly through this season. And by moving so quickly through this season, we lose track of the particular significant moments in the Advent a story as it moves towards uh, Christmas Eve. And so today, what we're going to do is return to the Gospel of Luke on this third Sunday of Advent and look at a text in the Gospel that pulls the curtain aside to show us a moment, a moment in the Advent story the visitation of Mary's greeting to Elizabeth. It is, I will just tell you right now, a moment of pure joy that is filled with the fragrance of undeserved grace. It is a moment of pure joy that is filled with the fragrance of undeserved grace. And when you think about it, it's this very meeting that inspires Mary's song, a song that will from age to age become a confession of joy in God's mercy to the lowly and forgotten, and a confession of refusal of those who rule the world with power, might, and strength. A mercy that extends from age to age. So, listen as I read this. The visitation of Mary to Elizabeth. In those days... Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she, en where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Calm us now, O Lord, into a quietness and that heals and listens. Open wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones so that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope as we witness as witnesses of your advent. Amen. So, who is Elizabeth? Elizabeth, her name means God is my oath or God is my abundance. She is the wife of a priest, Zechariah. We met him a couple of weeks ago. She is without a child and is in her later years. She is unable to bear children. Like Sarah and Hannah in the Old Testament, in the Older Testament, in biblical terms, she is barren. 
If bearing children is one of God's gifts, then in this gift, God has passed her by. She refers to this time as, quote, the disgrace that she has endured among her people, Luke 1, 25. We might then step back and ask a couple of questions. Is she a person up to this point, an individual who has lost hope? Has she lost joy? Does her name itself create a sense of doubt or mockery or even cynicism in her heart? Something that she might not reveal to anybody, but only to God in her most intimate and frustrating and painful moments. The question, is God truly faithful? Is God worthy of trust? Can I see God as abundance in my barrenness? This is a conflict. It's not only a conflict of her faith, but a conflict deep in her person. Who is Elizabeth? We also know that, and I've thought about this over the years as I've read these texts, that there seems to pop up in between them the understanding that there is this circle of people somewhere, somewhere, whether in Jerusalem or in wider circles, who are those who are looking for the consolation of Israel. It says that phrase, and also those who are awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. And Anna, in her prophet sighing later on, uh, will say something about those, to those who are waiting. So there must have been this circle of people. I wonder if this group that was expecting God's deliverance, were they carrying Elizabeth? Were they supporting Elizabeth? It puts a twist on the notion, or I think a truth, that at times when we don't have faith, other people must carry it for us. That is what we are to each other, such that we welcome those constantly who are struggling with faith and have no faith because we cannot hold it individually, corporately together. But I wonder about that significance, especially even as we go into Advent. What has her life experience taught her? I wondered, how has she learned to live under a dark shadow for a long time? As we said, being without children, she lives without God's blessing and the blessed order of created things. Were she and her husband looked at as a misfit kind of couple? Because he's a priest, but she's not blessed by God with a child. Did they fit, but maybe not fit? Were they misfits? Don't know, but it's an important question. But I do believe that as we consider it in the lives of others, given in scripture and experiences that we've read of other people who have lived long and hard through their faith, that she has learned that enduring in the way of faith is not straight, it is not easy, as it appears for other people. She experiences maybe her God relationship as ambiguous, fickle, even prickly at times. And yet, in all of this, in all of this, she is being prepared for an unexpected Advent gift, a miracle child named John. In this gift, she discovers that God has not forgotten her. God has seen her and now sees her as the bearer of, a, of the forerunner, of the very one who leaps in her womb will be the one who calls Israel to a cleansing to prepare for the Messiah. 
She says again in Luke 125, this is what the Lord has done for me in this time. He looked favorably, saved, delivered, released, looked favorably upon me and took away, and the word for taking away is to release. It's like just as we pray, we will pray in the Lord's prayer, Lord, forgive me of my transgressions or my sins or my debts. The word forgive means to release. And it's the same word there. Is I've been released of this disgrace that I've endured among my people. And so once disgraced, now we find her in this text, she is now favored. Once on the far side of hope, now in her being with child, she is right in the middle of the unfolding drama of something of great joy. Great joy, not just joy, great joy. Once bound by the bittersweet experience of life, and longing for her own and her people's deliverance, she is now right in the middle of this holy liminal space of joy and gratitude when Mary greets her with a loud voice at the threshold of her home with Zechariah. And Mary comes in. How could I even try to imitate what that greeting might have involved? But oh, what a greeting meets Elizabeth with Mary's voice. Somehow she knows there is something here. It's, it's like I was, the other day I was working, I, I oftentimes will work on my sermon at Pete's, right? I won't tell you which Pete's, but I'm there. There he is. But I was sitting there and I'm working on my notes and there was this woman who was looking, she was looking out the window, had, like she was looking for someone. And then a few moments later, another woman came through and she saw her, and it was just like, oh, you know, I haven't seen you in so long. And there was this big embrace. And I'm sitting there reading this text, and I'm watching this happen. And I'm wondering, what's the intelligence behind that? There's, there's, it's hard. You kill it when you try to explain it. You must embrace it. And... I was like, well, why should I even finish working on a sermon? <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'm just imagine the joy that Elizabeth felt when Mary walked through the door and she heard her loud voice. It says she cries out. Mary and Elizabeth, they have a moment. They share a divine blessing. They embrace each other. And it includes the children of their wombs, Jesus and John. This kind of unseen foursome of grace and life and joy. God sees them. Joy finds them. A great joy. A joy that can only be expressed loudly in loving wonder. How is this happening? Is this real? Pinch me. What's going on? A great joy, as we heard in the scripture in the Advent candle. We're reading in the Advent candle that Jane read. A great joy is unreserved in its expression. And this joy is a great visitation, working her wise ways in the grace of the Holy Spirit. And joy mixed with gratitude doubles itself. And it is known in an embrace. But it is the kind of gratitude that we must remember is known after having suffered so much inwardly in the dark shadow of a long time. 
Elizabeth's blessing of Mary is God's blessing upon her, and blessings, whether human or of God, are by nature shared. Elizabeth, in this state of gratitude for undeserved grace, says, Why has this happened, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? Now, what kind of question is this? Is she looking for a response? No, she's not looking for a response. She's not asking Mary, hey, Mary, tell me, how this all does this work out uh, for God to provide? She's not looking for a theological answer. This is a question that is not seeking one. It is a question that bursts and is bursting with joyful gratitude. It's charged also with spiritual insight that only joy brings to us. Elizabeth knows of Jesus, knows of Mary, knows of her own child, and this knowledge is conceived and pregnant with joy. How much she knows or how she knows does not matter. She knows and joy reigns in her heart. What is joy? Who is she? She is more than the happiness that is brought by good times, good meetings, and greetings. She can come to us in the grace of God in very difficult and unhappy circumstances. Here are some scriptures. She comes to us in the paths of life. Psalm 16, 11. You show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. She comes to us in the desert with an unexpected blossoming of life. Isaiah 35, 2. The desert shall rejoice and blossom and rejoice with joy and song. Joy is not fleeting. In her guile and wisdom, she is able to thwart our fears and reveals what is great and blessed for others. Our text for today in the, in the candle, uh, um, in lighting the candle. Luke 2.10, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Don't be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of a great joy. A mega joy, if you look in the Greek. A mega joy. A joy of greatness, of importance, extension, personal. It will come to all people. She is the great joy. And she comes to us in the words of Jesus as the word of God. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Notice this idea of great joy is a fullness. It's not incomplete, but it brings a fullness. Christmas season is not easy for many of us. Um, I often think about how many times some of us can look on our hands, maybe five, ten, or whatever, maybe only on five times throughout our lives. Sometimes we have that Christmas that meets all expectations, if that. Right? Christmas is not an easy season. And this question, this question I thought about, how many of us have felt deeply that the great joy has passed me by? How many of us have felt that the great joy has passed me by? This question lingers in the background of all of our seasonal activities, and it can easily be triggered by all the mirth and happiness that is mirrored to us in the words and the images of the season. For many people, Christmas can be and often is more about being passed by and not being seen. Let's face it and say it. Christmas can be hard and how quickly we can feel what I call like misfits. I was telling the pastors that on Tuesday that I was flipping through Apple TV and watching some Christmas 
so, uh, shows that I grew up as a kid. I realized again why. Stories like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, The Little Drummer Boy, and The Island of Misfit Toys makes such an impact on our hearts. These are the stories of those who are passed over in favor of others. You may find the sheer joy of being wanted, loved, worthy, and welcome deeply compelling, if hard to admit. But what makes this great joy of Christ Jesus so hard to receive is a question that lingers for me. Are we too much up in our heads? Are we too involved in the activities and the expectations that others would have for us of this season? Advertisers, beware. Are we too much involved in our daily duties and the drain on us? Is it our religion? Is our intense need for spiritual purity getting in the way of our ability to receive the great joy? What is it that gets in the way of receiving the great joy for me and for you? How does she, how does joy, the joy of God work? Charlene shared with me a poem by Donna Ashworth that has been, I guess, pretty popular on the internet. And I'm going to read it to you. Listen if it speaks to you. And listen for the gospel in it, the good news of great joy. Joy does not arrive with a fanfare, on a red carpet strewn with the flowers of a perfect life. Joy sneaks in as you pour a cup of coffee, watching the sun hit your favorite tree just right. And you usher joy away because you are not ready for it. Your house is not as it must be for such a distinguished guest. But joy cares nothing for your messy home or your bank balance, or your waistline, you see. Joy is supposed to slither through the cracks of your imperfect life. That's how joy works. You cannot invite her. You can only be ready when she appears. And hug her with meaning, because in this very moment, joy chose you. You are no longer a misfit when joy chooses you. And some of us may only know that in very personal and deep moments in our lives, but that is my wish and my prayer for all of us, that in some place between now and Christmas Eve, that in an unexpected place or face or event or word, joy may slip through and choose you. My dear friends, if you believe the great joy has passed you by, I encourage you to consider Elizabeth's journey and her joy. Can you and I sink into this moment of joyful embrace that extends through time from Elizabeth and Mary to us? Again, will we let joy choose us? Can you let joy choose you? May it be so. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Amen.